Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, a series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Jordan Rothline, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Matias Aguayo's vocal-inflected, infectiously rhythmic music doesn't fit into any particular genre, and it's all the more appealing for it. For Eurocentric dance music fans and followers of Compact, he can feel like an occasional breath of fresh air. Take a broader view, though, and you'll see that Aguayo never really slows down, and his projects are numerous. With Komeme, the label that sprung up from his Boom Boom Box parties in Argentina and elsewhere in South America, he's helped a seemingly disparate crew of producers and DJs develop singular sounds. He's also a fixture on the circuit in countries like Mexico and Colombia, touring consistently in places plenty of international DJs might only hit once in their careers. But with Legenda, his latest EP, Aguayo is stepping back into the musical milieu where he first found fame, the ruminative sound of classic Compact and Cologne, the city Aguayo thinks of as his hometown as much as anywhere. We spoke at length about the project in Berlin recently, which sparked a conversation that challenged the very notion that dance music culture has a single center. have a new EP on the way. Is it the Legenda EP? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, you're pronouncing it correctly. In Spanish, it would be Leyenda. But as I also relate this record a little bit more to this part of the world somehow, and the ideas were conceived and developed around here, also I, I found the title in German on a compact release more appropriate. Yeah, I wanted to ask about kind of where this record came from. It's a bit darker than the stuff you'd been known for for the last few years. It's a little bit moodier, getting a little more into techno. And where was your brain space when you were making this record? Well, it comes out of a specific period where it has a long development, actually, because um, it's based on these different arpeggios that are going through the whole record, which I recorded a, a couple of years ago, actually staying in Berlin in some longer sessions of well, a couple of days, but intense sessions where I developed these melodies. I never was sure about how I could finish them or how to continue that work until uh, now. So there I found the solutions and the next step. And I think the the idea somehow ripened, like if you would uh, have left a wine somewhere mm -hmm. or something or a cheese, I don't know. Uh, so I think it, it was good to give those a little bit of air and time to develop um, because so, uh, I was always here something in them that within the possibilities I had I couldn't develop further and then uh, this year I had the ideas of how to how to finish that as in general like my musical approach is not so much dictated by the idea of uh, fitting into a certain sound that is the sound of today or something like that for me this time shifts within my work which happens often some of the stuff i released was just made yesterday but some of the stuff took more years to develop uh, so i don't care so much about that mm -hmm. so you said these melodies sort of came out of sessions yeah. sessions where you're developing melodies uh, yes. what does that look like for you i always try to adapt a different uh, way of work to also make the music sound different from project to project also for me it's more exciting like that. I always like to feel like um, an amateur, a beginner at what I do, because it's then when I develop, in my point of view, like the more interesting ideas or the come across surprises. Because if I work with a program or something that I know already too well, it's very hard to create this new situation. So I always try to, to find a way of work that reduces my possibilities, that can be technical, that can be also like an amount of time or a time frame or, or yeah. In the case of, of Legende, it's, it's the four tracks and the arpeggios that have 
tasks, there was not more more possibilities. And also I came back to a machine that I didn't use since a while and that I like to use a lot. It's a Commodore Amiga computer and um, the four tracks that you can use there with this very distinct, very digital but warm sound at the same time. A weird program that is obviously different than a, than a program of today or than, Anna, than other tracker programs. It's a program in which you, you program the music by scores. That obviously leads to, to different results than when I make improvisations with my voice and start to do loops with that and then build arrangements around that. So when you're talking about four tracks, mm-hmm. you're talking about four audio tracks. Because I know there are tracks. four tracks on the, the EP, four full tracks. No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about four audio tracks. Oh, okay. uh, if I'm reduced in this way and this is how I started to make music that's why I mistrust the idea of having too many possibilities uh, which sometimes a computer seems to offer I have the impression or the experience that uh, when I have to reduce the melody or whatever to this only four track thing or something then Every element I use comes automatically a little bit more essential or has more reason to be there. So you have four audio tracks and you're recording them onto a, a rather old computer. Is that correct? No, I'm not recording them. I'm just producing, producing I'm, I'm them doing on the them computer. With them. And I then I exported that, I recorded that, and, and obviously I added some, some different sounds, but it was more like the composition tool, so to say, yes. When was the first time you worked with this old Commodore? Probably when I was like 12 or something. I think when it came out, because I didn't have the C64, everybody else had that one. I was still with my Sinclair ZX81. So I was behind, but then there came the Amiga and my parents bought one and everything changed. Then I uh, I had colors (laughs) and I had a program to make music with. Is this computer that you used on the CP that original computer? No, no. But I mean, you you can get an Amiga in every street corner nowadays, so Mm -hmm. it's not so difficult. So that must have felt really nice, kind of having this old friend back in the recording process. Yes, anyway, it feels nice always to come back to the initial motivations or the initial surrounding of what once made you want to do music, which is something that you can easily forget when your music making becomes part of a whole business or industry in which then releases, bookings, reviews, other things that maybe are not so essential to your musical process or shouldn't be so essential to your musical process suddenly become more important and and there is always the danger to forget uh, what are the real roots of why you started to make music and and what is your pleasure you find in music these results are for me uh, the ones i'm most happy with well, you've always really taken a fair amount of time with, mm-hmm. with each release. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period uh, sort of around 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. when Komeme was first coming up, yes. when, when you were quite prolific. Yeah. But kind of before that, and then since then, uh, you've seemed to work a bit slower on music. And I think that does take you a little bit outside of that usual fast-paced production environment that you get. I mean, there is one thing that is the public space is how things are perceived but on the other hand it's also what you do yourself and what you do to your community or your context nowadays especially as everything has become so international it's obviously impossible to keep up with things it's not that when i'm not so present in the northern hemisphere uh, western media that I'm not doing anything the whole boombox party thing in argentina is something that took place with no press uh, or or any involvement of some public um, space. Yeah, we mostly seem to hear about that afterward. Yeah, so I think there's always things going on. And and for my own creativity, I I feel more inclined to concentrate on, on those spaces, especially all the networking and the work we do with Komeme, for instance, within the Latin American countries. And the fact that I'm a regular to Mexico and Colombia and that we have built a huge base of supporters there is obviously something that you can't perceive in the same way with the obviously more Anglo-Saxon dominated um, space. But obviously things, however, take place. And in the end, um, 
what is most important to me is like to, uh, also to have this time and not to feel the pressure of um, having to develop uh, something uh, every two seconds. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, it sounds like there is the sort of audience that might know about mm -hmm. you through a site like Resident Advisor that mm -hmm. might know a lot about Compact, mm -hmm. but then there could be this uh, entirely different audience mm -hmm. that's more based in Central and South America that would have a very different idea about your career. Yes, absolutely. But that is something that is that is very 2014, I think. It's like the big representants of some view are lost. There is many parallel worlds going on. So, And I like that very much. I like very much the idea of discovering these places and things. There is maybe some time between releases in my case, but I don't feel it so much because I'm doing all the time something. I'm touring a lot, I'm doing this and that, I'm supporting a lot of artists. I'm very much involved in, in the production process of every artist that releases on Komeme. I don't see this time gap so much. But Compact is, um, and probably will always be something where I always kind of go back to. And also I somehow in, not style-wise or something, because obviously all the music and all the labels develop and compact develops to one direction or whatever. But like from the mood, I felt this is, this is a record that could fit somehow into the narrative of my compact story or something like that, or my story with compact. So you, you came to Cologne as a teenager, correct? Yes. And the music scene then, there wasn't compact at that time, but there was sort of the beginning of compact or the sort of proto-compact. Well, Cologne is a small city, but it had uh, in the 90s and still has, but there was like this very vibrant music scene of, of, of many people involved that later would, um, well, there was obviously Delirium Records. This was like what later would become compact and um, there would be all, obviously also the Liquid Sky Club in which every DJ would play. It was like kind of the living room of the city. This was the time when I arrived to Cologne and it was somehow pretty unavoidable to not get in touch with with these people. I mean, now we think of sort of Berlin as the center of techno or the center of electronic music in Germany. I mean, in the 90s, Cologne was truly one of the big cities for that, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. In general, what happened in Germany after the reunification, uh, bit by bit, it culturally it become more centralized towards, towards the new capital. In the past, maybe there was more focus on Cologne, Munich, Frankfurt, Hamburg, other cities. And then it all kind of centralized. I mean, also look at the art scene. The Cologne art scene was way more important than the Berlin one back then. Again, I still feel, for instance, now and then when I come back to Cologne, is, or when I go back to Cologne, I don't live there anymore, is still something about the city that I find quite interesting in, in the whole music context, which is something that happens to me in many cities that are a little bit smaller. I could uh, mention Glasgow, for instance, where there are long-established smaller music scenes that have had more time to consistently and with a lot of continuity uh, work on music and, and develop also their musical taste. These uh, little communities are, are less uh, driven to, to believe the hype. These communities, um, in general, uh, are more consistent also with their music taste. It doesn't change every year. And this is something that the bigger capitals, like Berlin, for instance, or London, don't have so much. It's less consistent, it's more quick, and it's not always trend-setting. So I think talking about nowadays about capitals or center points of music has become more difficult also. I don't have the impression that it's about cities nowadays, especially as it is all so connected via the net. So from my perspective or the perspective of my ideological approach to music or whatever, and this I think I can share with the people um, I do music with, there's not really one center of music nowadays. If you see, for instance, okay, in Berlin, there's obviously a lot going on around techno, but if you see the musical background or richness that London has, for instance, we can be really sure that 
the musical capital is not Berlin if you compare those considering musical history, for instance, just to give you an example. I wonder if these sorts of music scenes, these mm -hmm. ones that are maybe not so concerned with mm -hmm. trends mm -hmm. and that are a bit more insular, mm -hmm. like if those are the sorts of music scenes that you would be most interested in. In general, I feel close to it, but I'm always very... Um, very curious about everything. So, for instance, the rhythmical richness of very different scenes uh, in Latin America, for instance, that can go from the tribal rhythms from Mexico or the more champeta rhythms from Colombia or the um, the modern, like the, the, the nowadays rhythms of the funk in Rio, etc. I mean, okay, sometimes these things are too much in one genre, so I'm not so genre interested anyway. I always felt house music as something unifying in music. So I never was so inclined to the genres. But for me, it's always interesting to discover also uh, popular music of today, of different places, and the most exciting rhythms at the moment, I think, are not coming from the Northern Hemisphere, but from places which also in their musical history have much bigger rhythmical richness than the one of Europe, for instance. Something that I was sort of curious about with you, I mean, you arrive in Cologne as a teenager mm. from Santiago de Chile. There wasn't the internet. There wasn't this way of mm -hmm. connecting the dots the way you could now. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you arrived in the city, had you ever heard music like the stuff you were hearing in Cologne at that point? Ah, no, no, no. I grew up in Germany already as a small kid. I arrived to the, my parents um, I left uh, Chile because of the dictatorship. They had to leave the country because of the Pinochet dictatorship. And we arrived to the south of Germany when I was about two or three or something like that. So I grew up there. Then we went back to South America. I lived uh, several years in Peru and then we came back again and then we moved to not directly to Cologne, but more to the outskirts of Cologne or the countryside near Cologne. Obviously, in this countryside, there was not so much approach to music. Obviously, it would be more mainstream countryside style and there would be a little few tribes of new wave, goth, punk, whatever, who would listen to other music. But what uh, was interesting uh, for me or, or was maybe a good thing was that as I didn't feel really um, so much inclined to have an... I didn't really like so much the music other people would listen there to and I had to develop my own language and I was by then already like making music and as I didn't have so many references of new modern stuff, I would just invent something or invent myself a way of making music for me. In that case also it was like a four track recorder that a friend borrowed me. And I think this was very good for me because it laid the base of having like this, this self-confidence of really not caring so much about what other people think of your music. So th that's a very nice approach for a musician because I think um, musical creativity should always be a quite free thing. So I think that laid somehow a good background. Musically, musical background in my case is very complex because obviously I, I, I think that um, the music you hear when you're a very small kid is a very important influence, even if later it's not your favorite stuff, but it has a huge impact on how you compose, etc. And that was a lot of music from Chile that my parents listened to, from Los Jaivas to um, Victor Jara, and, uh, but also other music. And also what had a big impact on me was the tapes. A friend of uh, my father, who was a DJ, recorded me always, which was like basically disco funk, D-Train, Colonel Abrams, etc., with like more towards the beginning of the 80s. So um, I feel there something like important impact or, or musical background or reference. You said in interviews before that your voice is really what you consider to be your instrument. It would sort of strike me as being kind of a perfect vehicle for getting out these kind of melodies mm -hmm. that have been hanging around, you know, subconsciously or something mm -hmm. from from your youth or from these influences that were just gathered piecemeal all along. I mean, yeah. did, was that sort of like your 
your main instrument always, your voice? Did you play other instruments growing up? Uh, yes, I learned uh, several instruments. None of them I really specialized for a very long time. So I can play a few things, but it's relatively basic. I mean, I see a lot of continuity in the voice because I was always singing in choirs and then later I... Obviously, one of the instruments that I had at home, obviously, was my voice to record. Uh, there was not so many, um, not so much choice. Yeah, it's the one I most, I developed most or I studied most. And in which I also, for instance, when I improvise and develop a bass line or any melody, I think always what I develop with my voice is, for instance, more interesting than what I develop with a keyboard. Also, um the whole voice thing for me is like a, a whole obsession and and it, it has several levels, not only the musical composition level. It's also, on the one hand, I have a lot of theater background because from teenage on I was very much participating in, as an actor or director or whatever in theater groups. And I learned a lot of things there. And obviously that also is something that implies very much the use of the voice. Also like slipping into different characters, which is also something that I like, you like to do within my music, that also it doesn't sound always like the same person singing there or so. I have a particular fascination about speech and the melodies that people develop uh, in their ways of speaking. This is something that I examine a lot and that I, I'm very obsessed with or that I listen a lot to, especially in the context of Comeme, for instance, you got uh, Colombians, Mexicans, Argentinians, Chileans, with all their different melodies and accents. And that, for instance, has been very inspiring to develop melodies also because it's like we train our voice practically every day from childhood on. And so in the end, it's our most developed instrument. I very often have the impression that subconsciously a lot of people are doing music without knowing because of their nice uh, way of talking or the melodies they developed and because speaking needs melody, needs rhythm, needs uh, accents. So basically it's, it's, you're making music. Well, vocals have, I mean, they've always played a, a big role in all of the music that you've done that I can think of. This is going back to the stuff you did before you broke off and did solo music mm -hmm. under your own name. I mean, this is what defined closer music in a lot of ways mm -hmm. as well was your voice. I mean, could you imagine doing music without singing on it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have, um, there is some um, several also instrumental releases. If you look back to Closer Music, half of the tracks were instrumental. Also in Are You Really Lost, some tracks are instrumental as far as I can remember. And also actually on the Legende EP, the, that is just about, this just released. Yeah, three or four tracks are instrumental. So yes, I can I can imagine uh, to go instrumental. It's something that just happens. Yeah, but there is always though on any given release the voice mm -hmm. still mm -hmm. kind of pops up yes. every now and then. It's um, my natural music making process. My aim was never necessarily be part of the ones who make it to the crates of some popular DJs that play music between 123 and 128 BPM. So it, it was never so much in my interest. Even like when we did closer music, we wanted to give an answer on an alternative by doing everything on 114 BPM and just having another attitude. And so... And I never cared so much about these questions, rather if I rather should do something more instrumental. For instance, um, on The Visitor, the last album, um, for me it was important that the instrumentals also exist. That's why I released a complete instrumental version of, uh, of the tracks. Because I can understand that uh, listening to one voice can be at some point annoying or, or maybe you just want to hear, have some more instrumental stuff in a way. So and, and also I like very much the rhythms of that record also in, in the version without uh, voices. So in that case, I wanted to give the option of having this or that. Also next year, I'm about to release a series of 12 inches and 
I think there a big part of it has no vocals, I think, yeah. Well, having the vocal element as well, mm. you know, not only does that place your music in potentially this different context mm. outside of just mm. club play, mm. but it allows you to do some other fun things with exactly. the music as well. Exactly. The, the, the very nice thing that the voice allows you to do, and then, then I'm, this I mean in the context of the live performance, mm -hmm. it can give you an approach to the audience that is great because you can maybe play the weirdest music but as soon as you have a microphone and you make them participate by them perceiving okay this is this is happening now this is live so i think that way the microphone as a communication tool also to bring this music near to people is great because i mean i have an audience that is open towards this. And I don't know if this would work without a microphone, if I would just play this uh, music that people nowadays want me to play when they come to see me, but it would be much more difficult if I wouldn't have this tool of making people participate more with the fact that there's a microphone and I'm singing and I'm trying to somehow build a dialogue. So yeah, it's an important key to to create a communication also um, with the audience. For me, it's always important to play these tracks that are difficult to play, that if you don't play them at the right moment, maybe empty the dance floor. This is something I really like, and I think I can tell the same for, for many of the common DJs or for all of them. It's like this risky stuff, it's the weird stuff, it's, it's other stuff. And yes, the voice, is very helpful in bringing that stuff nearer to an audience. Maybe this is a, a good way of sort of segueing into talking a bit about those boom boom box parties because yes. this was a, a very different context for mm -hmm. for DJing and uh, a context where the usual club music wouldn't have worked. You mentioned before that sort of by the time in, in the West we started hearing about these parties, they had already been going on, that had already developed. Tell me a little bit about the history of those parties and, and what was going on before maybe someone like me would have heard about it. Well, to explain the parties, it was just um, parties that we spontaneously did with a couple of boomboxes and small DJs mixes that we prepared and played from little mp3 players and this was going on in buenos aires it started in with. buenos aires and then then we went to several places but the when i describe it it doesn't sound so spectacular but it was actually because we were really like going into the public space at night at places there nobody would expect a party and it somehow worked it became um a space where any people could go and were and obviously doing something in the public space provokes uh, surprises provokes uh, anecdotes provokes like situations that you didn't expect which is very opposite to the club i love the clubs that's that's not the point but obviously you know where you're going there's certain audience that is more homogenous considering like their social background their interests their age so it's much more a closed uh, thing and also sound wise as a musician it automatically leads you to something because obviously when you hear your music always on these sound systems, you try to function one or size your music somehow or something, functionalize your music mm -hmm. to, to that requirements. And that also makes the music in general more homogenous. So what I found as a musician very inspiring and the idea of, of playing music in a public space where you were automatically confronted with an audience that you don't know is that you have you to open your language. As I have also this background that I was born in Chile, then grew up in Germany, then lived in Peru, then came back to Germany, Argentina, blah, blah, blah. I had to open my language anyways. I was never too inclined to develop a language that can only be understood by a certain specific group or context. So playing in public space obviously means opening your language somehow and doing something that is more accessible to because obviously like minimalist, reduced, introspective 
neo-romantic club track wouldn't work on the street. Just It just don't work. It wouldn't sound like much coming out of a boombox anyway. No, anyway, it, it wouldn't uh, fulfill the sound, but also like we noticed that the street in that context was asking for harder rhythms, was asking for more melodies, for vocals. It was different stuff that was working there. And then we noticed like when we were playing music at these parties, a lot of this music was music from the past, which was like older house music or or some salsa or cumbia or also like disco music, but but not really the music of today. The only things of today that would really fit was more like some South African stuff or, or some Colombian stuff, but not really like the club music. So that was very inspiring to develop music that could work in this context too, which was one of the reasons why we started the label. One of the reasons, I say, because there were many more. But obviously putting yourself in a situation of having to create music under other circumstances for another audience for, I think, helps you... Um, for your musical development, I guess. It's something that I don't want to miss and I'm still doing. I'm, I like also like the performance out of the club in a band context or also in, in a context of playing outside a record shop like I did in Milano last year with doing loops with my voice and doing stuff on top. It leads you automatically to other results. Just to pull back for a quick moment, the Boom Boom Box parties, at least, were happening originally in Buenos Aires and, I guess, other places in yeah. South America. How did you end up in Buenos Aires at that time? First time I went to Buenos Aires was uh, with Closer Music. I was thrilled by the place. I was very interested in staying there and and sharing experiences with people I got to know there. And also, I think like it's interesting to having lived in different places of the world. It's always like very enriching to go to different places. That was Buenos Aires. Then later would concentrate more into Santiago again. Anyway, feel like a very mixed background, having grown up biggest part of my life here, but having the Latin background, it's always interesting for me to combine this or, or create a communication between people because I have the impression when we learn from each other and you learn to to somehow have an intercultural work relationship with people and they can learn from you and you can learn from them. I think that's the most beautiful process of maturing or, I don't know, of spiritual growth in your life or something. And that really seems to me like that's kind of been the the mission statement or the the real ethos behind Komeme. It, I mean, it comes out of that period where maybe you weren't finding a lot of mm -hmm. new music that would work in this brand new context that you found. And it really has sort of come to bridge this gap maybe between this kind of other kind of non-European musical mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. and then what, what's going on there too. Mm -hmm. I mean, tell me a bit about the how the label has developed. It really does seem like it's been a, a development over the last five years. Yeah, it's interesting because um, there is many dynamics in the label and the label develops and this is all also dynamics to which we react because it's not that, that we're steering the label to some direction. It's also like the impact of the different artists that start to collaborate with, with each other and start to go different ways because in the beginning, okay, there's first like this initial very much, okay, we know what we're doing and this is what we're doing. And then later you see how the artists develop themselves to one or the other direction and um, is living a constant change. And this constant change is very important to me also in the sense that it has to keep interesting to, to listen to the label and not not get lost in in like one specific sound that it's it's more about the spirit than about the sound and so i try to find the music that has the spirit and not so much under a genre criteria has this musical element so it can fit into the label there's people we're talking about a common sound and that i find a little bit difficult to define because if you hear the very abstract spaced out things that will come out soon from Anna Helder for instance that 
may remind a little bit of New York No Wave, but then again not, but also a little bit of, I don't know, of Masters at Work. I don't know, it has again nothing to do or, or is sound-wise not really the same than the um, than this very electric and um, and smashing sound of the DJ's pareja but in a way it fits together in in the spirit of not longing to belong to a scene or movement that's taking place now but creating something that hopefully you can also hear in a couple of years so i think this spirit is important to to keep up in that context and also i think something that defines the sound or or how it works is the concept of production that we have which is not like okay there is a pool of artists who send demos to us and at some point we say okay this this demo is cool so we will release it it's always more about thinking okay i give you the example anna she worked on her tracks we try to develop the arrangements more together than Alejandro Paz comes in and helps with the mix down, following a bit this idea of, of old labels of having composer, arranger, like uh, different levels of production, which we can use nowadays via file exchange, but also meeting at places. And I think this community process, community concept is very important for the, or, or very essential to the work uh, we do. Yeah, you said, I think earlier in the conversation, you were very involved with all of the artists mm -hmm. who were releasing music mm -hmm. on the label. And I wanted to ask kind of what that looked like, but it sounds in a, in a way like it's kind of putting the pieces together. And Well, in a way, it's a little bit the, the job of a producer, but a producer in the old school sense of producing. And this is also why I would never put on a record produced by Matias Aguayo, because everybody would think, okay, there somebody is like on the front and, and he probably the beats or this is how you understand producing nowadays. But for me, it's more like the idea of working on other people's music and help to develop them their ideas not not so much about not not at all about imposing my ideas onto their music but trying to hear and trying to to help to develop that because obviously it's a complex thing not everyone has also the the access to all this technique to really being able to to develop it the music itself so and also i think there's like different talents so i know this person which is very good in mix down and engineering and the other one is very good in composing and finding harmonies and there's another one who is has very good ideas so i like to put this together because this solitary uh, producer idea of nowadays obviously leads in the end somehow or there's always the danger that it's just very, very ambitious people. But it's good to be ambitious. It's good to be, to work a lot, of course, but doesn't maybe say so much about the musical results. So, so it's like, it is maybe somebody who is very good at social networking, who is very good at computer programs, who is very good at being always up to date with what plugins there are for blah, blah, blah. So this does not necessarily mean that the musical result is something that is interesting for me. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why I try to find more like the person who has like crazy ideas but doesn't know how to make them become reality, for instance. Mm -hmm. You had said before that you are quite involved in music scenes or in, in parts of the world mm -hmm. that are a bit outside of the, you know, the supposed mm -hmm. center mm -hmm. of house mm -hmm. and techno club mm -hmm. music. In Central and South America, I mean, it's a big region. It, it would mm -hmm. be a lot to talk mm -hmm. of, give of one course. broad answer for it. But what, broadly speaking, is happening in this part of the world in club music? Yeah, it's obviously a very big world with with a lot of countries and, and different scenes and developments, so it's a little bit difficult to generalize. Any answer would be not so intelligent if, I, if it's really an answer to that question, or uh, let me put it in a different way. Something 
I can say is due to the fact that uh, the internet has made music more accessible. If you look back to the 80s, 90s, the it was also obviously completely different. Especially in electronic music, there was always a look towards Europe. And this has changed, I think, because there were many, it's not only Komeme, but there were many instances that made like people from different countries within Latin America communicate with each other and within Latin America uh, listen to each other's music. So this is something that's a major change, I think. And, and that's very interesting, too. Yeah. Some people might have the feeling that, mm-hmm. um, okay, now suddenly... Through the internet, people mm-hmm. from Latin America, really anywhere else um, outside of the center, would kind of have a little more access to maybe what's happening in the European yeah, scene. Yeah. And it could lead to, I don't know, some sort of homogenization of the music okay. or something. But instead, it sort of put these different countries that are on the periphery of things, maybe a little yeah. in better contact with one another. and Yes, yes, certainly. I mean, it's, it's very complex too, because obviously there is also like the reference to Europe that also happens. I mean, there's many levels and, 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 and directions in which things are moving, because as you said, it's like the concentration towards the center or something like that, or, or Europe, it's actually not perceived by all the world as the center, I think, and that's the big change. It's not looked at as a center, but one possibility of many. What I hear often is like, for instance, in Mexico, uh, you got um quite important uh, young music scene of producers and they are a little bit distracted from what is actually happening in Europe and so on because they feel it's a little bit very much referential towards the 90s or something like that and it's not so fresh. So there is like other sounds that a bigger impact. So I think that's maybe the... But also, on the other hand, it's still difficult because, um, for instance, also, if you see the whole rhythmical history of, of Latin American music, especially like in in the countries with a more Afro influence, but that spread also to the whole rest of Latin America, it's obvious that the perception of how dance music works is a very different. In dance music, there's parallels to, to older house music, for instance. There's like every musical element creates a dialogue with the body. In salsa music, it's the same. Then in Chicago, jacking house music is like different rhythmical elements related to the body movement. So, so it's maybe that the bass line that's making move your feet, maybe the claps make your shoulders uh, shake or whatever. And this is something very important, this steady dialogue in rhythm, which obviously is by hundreds of years of tradition in Latin America, a little bit more developed. It's less this hypnotic groove in which you actually, as a dancer, don't move so much, but perceive all these changes that are going on on top of the the steady rhythm. But it's not so much this dialogue of, okay, or shake this or move that. And I think that's something that is more understandable in that context. This is also why I think like a musical public space nowadays is a very complex thing, because I think... And then I talk to you as a journalist, for instance, it's very important and it's a big responsibility, I think, for people who do research over, over nowadays music is also to try to understand this, try to really get into the idea that there is different purposes in the music and that sometimes how we judge these purposes is more a thing of taste in the end or of of a very subjective approach because maybe a rhythm I play can't be so attractive to someone who... We did, for instance, um, in Colombia, some rhythms with Sano, which actually sound more like house music if you hear them. But in the end, like how they are structured, how they are arranged is more a salsa rhythm. So I played this track, for instance, in Bogota, and then I suddenly saw that the people really would change their body moves and relate to this rhythm, although it 
on its surface, it it's not structurally a, a salsa rhythm, but in that case, it worked. So, I think it's important to to open our minds there and try to understand also how these different rhythms work and what purposes they have. And in Latin dance music, obviously, it has a very direct relationship to the body and its possible movements. Mm -hmm. You've made a home in a number of cities, in a number of different mm -hmm. parts of the world over the years. You were living in Buenos Aires for a while, mm -hmm. in Paris for a while yes. as well. This is sort of the perennial Matias Aguayo question, but, but where is home right now? Well, uh, home is obviously a um, very difficult question to answer for me. I think that is something that I have in common with m many people who grew up in a similar way, like coming from another background, growing up in another place, speaking two languages, having like the cultural family background when you come home and then the reality in school or whatever, which is also different. And that is a complex thing to solve in your life. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's so many problems with it also with this whole identity thing. I have tried in my life to solve it in best of ways, which uh, I'm happy enough to say now, okay, I'm working with people from here and from there likewise. And, um, and this is a way for me to somehow create a home. But if you ask me directly, I think in a way, always when I go back to Cologne, I feel it very much like a home place, which has several reasons. It's obviously because it's the city where I probably lived the longest time. And also I have very old and true and loyal and friends there that I know since ages. And in the end, that's the most important. And on the other hand, um, it's uh, Santiago, Santiago, Chile. Although I never lived there for a long time, it has been a continuity in my life because my family is there. I'm cousins, uh, aunts, etc. And, and I was always going, no matter if I was living in Buenos Aires or in Paris or in the south of Germany, I would always go back to Chile and that's, that would be something constant in my life. Now, nowadays, it's obviously um, crazy also because it's like a rhizomatic, uh, whatever, <laughs> parallel world of, of many things and many places have become very important to me in which I have developed a routine or a context of people I work with, especially Mexico, I think is worth mentioning, which is uh, very important to me, not only through the fact that my wife is Mexican and she, she is actually the manager, she runs uh, our label, but also through the fact that there is a very cool audience, young audience we have achieved to establish there and I always love to go back and I, I tour there at least once a year. And same goes for Colombia, where and especially for the city of Medellin, which is also a place that I can somehow feel home because throughout the years and through the collaboration and support with people there and so on, we achieved to develop like strong ties and I'm going there in, in now again. Yeah, somehow it feels like home coming back to Medellin. I will be there with my parceros the, <laughs> from Medellin and it will be good for sure. <laughs> 